Our scripture this morning comes from Acts 15, 36, and goes all the way through 16, verse 10. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derb, Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of all the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Acts 15, 36 through 16, 10. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your apostles who built this church that continues even to this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to continue the story of how you were building your church, even here in Lawrenceville. Lord, I pray for Ryan this morning as he preaches. I I pray that you would silence his voice and amplify your own. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We are continuing uh, our series through the book of Acts. And if you're unfamiliar with what the book of Acts is, is, uh, it is the story of the early church. It is our spiritual story. If you're you're a Christian in here, it it is our spiritual heritage that we're reading about. How did the church get to us? How did the Holy Spirit direct people? What was it like? If if you're anything like me, you kind of hear what the text that we're looking at today, and it seems like some kind of disconnected, random things that are happening. And I just had this question as I was reading it and studying it this week. Why in the world did did the Holy Spirit direct Luke, who, who wrote the book of Acts, to include these things? And I have to conclude that there is a reason why he did. And every word in the Bible is there on purpose, and it's for our good. And so as we're putting this together today, uh, really the theme of what I want to talk about 
is the role of, of, of circumstances and, and curveballs in life in our calling as Christians. Um, you see anything from, from disappointments to disagreements uh, to, to surprises to suffering in this text that we're looking at today. And somehow, some shape, some form, God is using them all in the calling of these brothers early on uh, in the story of the church. And, and what this means for us is this, is that everything in our lives plays into the calling that God has us on. And so we're going to be looking at this um, this morning. Now in, in uh, Acts, you know, places like Acts chapter 9, 14, 22, and 24, one of the descriptions that the early Christians are, are labeled as is followers of the way. Now the interesting thing about that is describing them as followers of the way indicates to us that they were all on a spiritual pilgrimage following Jesus who is the way. Now if you have a Bible, I want to start actually in John chapter 14 this morning. So if you can open it up there, uh, that, would be, that would be great. In John chapter 14, uh, there's this instance where Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, to follow him. And, and this one guy named, uh, named um, Thomas kind of pipes up and he, and he, and he says this. Uh, Jesus tells them that, that they should follow him and he, and he says this in John chapter 14 verse 5. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Guys, it's a legitimate question, Right? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to where you're going? Now, Jesus answers it, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the tension here is this, is that Thomas has a legitimate question. God, what do you want me to do with my life? How do you want me to live my life? How do you want me to follow you? And Jesus says, listen, you're asking the wrong questions. It's not the, it's not the, uh, the, the path that you're going to take that matters. It's the person that you're going to follow that matters. And, and Jesus lays into this a little bit more, and, and, he, and he says that there's going to be this Holy Spirit that is going to descend on them that will direct and remind them of all things that he's taught to them. And so we see this tension here. The fact that, that God has first called us to himself, and, and secondly, that we have specific callings that we're to be about. Thomas had to do something with his feet. He had to be about something. He had to go in a direction, just like all of us do. So, as I, as I set this up, I was, I was reading this week uh, uh, for, uh, uh, an article, uh, and it's a story that this guy named Cotton Mather wrote. Now, Cotton Mather was a 17th century New England minister in the late 1600s, early 1700s. And, uh, and he, he wrote about a, this, this article or book or sermon that was called A Christian at His Calling. And the way that he described how we are to view our calling, what we're supposed to do with our lives, what we're supposed to focus on, what we're supposed to prioritize, was he, he said, picture a rowboat. So has anyone ever been on a rowboat before? Some of you have. It, t- it takes yeah, a few of you, that's good. Um, it takes, it takes some skill to row a boat well. Um, you can't just get out there and just make it happen, uh, or you'll be spinning around in circles all day. Now, on a rowboat, you've got two oars, and the way that they work is, is that you're facing backwards, and, and what you're doing is you're pulling back toward yourself, uh, and if you, pull, if you pull the oars at the same time, with the same intensity, the idea is that you'll go straight. Now, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't, right? 
And so, uh, so that's, that's the, kind of the picture of a rowboat. And the, the way that he describes it is this, is, is let's just say, you know, you're setting out on a rowboat. This is a spiritual rowboat. And you're, 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 you're uh, destined for heaven. And you're rowing this boat toward heaven with your life. On one hand, he says, think about uh, the oar number one, maybe on your left side, as the call to God Himself. We'll call that the primary call today. The call that, that God calls us to Himself. Now in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says this, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So there's, there's this call that God issues to us through the Gospel. Now, if you're a Christian in here, you've heard the Gospel and you've responded to it. The Holy Spirit has done something in your life. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 14, 6 when He says, I am the way, Thomas. Like, you're looking for the way. You're trying to figure out the implications uh, of my life before you're trying to figure out who I am and, and what it means to follow Me. This is our call to God Himself. I mean, if, you, if you've ever studied any of the, the Greek language that the, the New Testament was written in, the word for church is this word ekklesia. Now, this literally means the called out ones. I think that's significant. That Church, if you are a Christian, you are a follower of the way, you have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. That is your story. You are different because He has given you a new heart. And He's put a new spirit within you that's able to obey God, that's able to follow the way, that seeks the way, that desires God with everything that you are. Now, you don't do it perfectly, but the desire is there. Cotton Mather said, that's the, that's the first oar of the rowboat. Now, it's really important to row that well, because if you don't row that well, you'll get caught up here like Thomas was, trying to figure out the way without really knowing the way. And so he says the second side of this rowboat is this. We'll call it secondary callings with a, with a small c. Callings. Things that God does in your life. Invitations that He issues to you throughout your life. Now a lot of times when we think about callings in life, the things that we're supposed to do, am I supposed to go on this trip? Am I supposed to take this job? Should I get married to this person? Etc. Etc. We, we, we try to make those the primary thing that we're trying to figure out without seeking God first. And, and, and this is what Thomas is doing in John 14, 5. Lord, how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. He says, you're asking the wrong question. When you know the way, me, you'll figure out the way. And so the, this idea of these, these secondary callings is this, is that sometimes we, we, we spend all of our time trying to figure out those secondary callings and we're, we're just spending all of our time rowing this oar over here. And what's happening when you row one side of the oar without the other? You spin in circles, right? Some of our lives feel like that right this morning, don't they? We feel like we're spinning around in circles without direction. We don't really know what we're supposed to be doing. We're at a crossroads in our career. We're at a crossroads in our family. Some devastating things have happened. You know, our week has gotten blown up. It wasn't the way that we planned for it to be. Maybe talking to myself on that, the stomach bug swept through our house and just kind of took dynamite to my week, right? So, you know, we, we, so the, the, the point is this, is that it's important to row both oars when it comes to calling. You're not just up in the clouds thinking, oh yeah, Jesus is so great. I want to follow Him with everything that I am. And you, and you never get bit busy obeying what He calls you to do. 
And then you can't obey a God that you don't know. And so it's, it's this tandem kind of approach to calling the primary and the, and the secondary. So as we enter into Acts chapter 15 and 16, I want this to be the foundation of how you view the events that the narrative describes. And if I could say there was a big idea about where we're going, it would be this. Through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, every moment of our lives serves our kingdom calling. So I just want to, I just want to pause for a second and let that sit with you. Every moment of your life serves your kingdom calling because you are called by Jesus. And He doesn't waste any of your life. He doesn't put unnecessary things or people in your path. He doesn't put unnecessary frustrations. He's not just playing games with you. Every single thing that you've endured, every single thing that you've stepped into, whether you knew it was coming or you didn't, plays a role in your kingdom calling in His kingdom. And when you see the Holy Spirit leading your life like that, everything matters. Everything is of kingdom value. Now you can only see your life this way if you see Jesus as the way, the truth and the life. That's the only way that you can make sense out of what your life has become and is becoming. Is when you see all of it play together like that. So let's look uh, in Acts chapter 15, if you've got a Bible, flip open to that. Uh, we're going to look through these, these scenarios. There's kind of three big pieces that happen here. Um, so let's look at how the Holy Spirit leads in kingdom calling in this narrative here. The first one is this, and I'm not going to belabor this point because uh, Neil Gilmore preached on this a few weeks ago and he, and he spent quite a bit of time talking about it. But first thing is this, the Holy Spirit leads to and through disagreements. The Holy Spirit leads to and through disagreements. So let's open up to Acts 15, 36 through 41. The scriptures say this. Uh, after some days, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return to visit the brothers in every city. So Paul wants to go back and he wants to check on the churches and help them strengthen in every city. And, um, and, and in the midst of that, um, Barnabas says, Hey, Paul, I want to take John Mark with us. Now, if you remember, you know, back in the narrative, something happened to John Mark. We don't really know the story. We don't know if he got sick, if he got scared. We don't know what happened. But Paul is a little timid. He's a little gun shy uh, with, with taking John Mark with them. And so Paul says, you know, it's, it's best not to take the one who, who betrayed us. We need, we need a strong front moving into these churches. And, and out of this, as you can imagine, this is Barnabas' cousin, uh, there, there's, this, there's this sharp disagreement. Now, I don't really know what that means other than a sharp disagreement. Uh, we, don't, we don't get the indication that there's sin involved here. Think about that. that th there could be disagreements without sin being involved. That maybe that's possible here. Maybe not one of them was in the wrong. You know, there's this disagreement whether they should take this guy along with them or not. And so, in light of this disagreement, there was a division that took place. And so, what happened from here is that Barnabas took Mark and they sailed to Cyprus. They went a different direction. And, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers in the grace of the Lord. And he went to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they go in different directions. So, so here's the question that I have. You know, you, on one side, we've got Paul is prioritizing the work. He's saying, look, this mission matters. We don't have any room for people who aren't going to be able to make the journey with us. He's thinking big picture. Now, on the other side, 
you know, you've got Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, remember what we said about him? He's the most encouraging guy in the church. He, he's been sent on several missions to help encourage the church because you know why? Because following Jesus is hard and we need to be encouraged. Barnabas sees John Mark not only as a cousin but a brother in the Lord, and he says, Let's give him another shot, Paul. Let's take him with us. One guy prioritizes the mission, the other guy prioritizes the person. So who's right? Team Paul, let me see you raise your hand here. Who thinks Team Paul is, is right here? Uh, Team Barnabas over here? You guys? Really? I'm just kidding. Um, here's the thing, guys. We don't know who's right in the situation. We don't know why the Holy Spirit directed uh, Luke to write this in his account of the Acts of the Apostles. But what we know is this, is it's for our good. And I, here's the thing. Get this. I don't think it matters who's right. I don't think it matters. Because here's what we see comes from this God brings a better outcome than what Paul and Barnabas were trying to figure out about John Mark now think about that in your disagreements and the rubs that you have with others sometimes we think that the better outcome is just perfect unity and uniformity about how to do the work of ministry how to do life how to do the family and, and sometimes there's this there's, there are these differences, and, and, and we, I think we just have to be open to the fact that because the Holy Spirit is all-knowing and we're not, that sometimes He's just going to produce a better outcome than what we think. And He's going to do it through different means than we can imagine. Um, so, so think about, in, in, you know, well, let me back up here for a second. So what happened with Mark and Paul? Were they at odds for the rest of their life? Well, Paul writes to Timothy some years later at the end of his life, and here's what he says to Timothy. In uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 11, he says, hey, hey, get Mark for me. He's useful. He's useful. Get Mark for me. He hadn't thrown Mark aside. In fact, they had probably become better friends and closer companions in the ministry through this disagreement. God, God produces this outcome that, that leads to church planning and disciples being made throughout a, through double the amount of area in the same amount of time. It was just the Holy Spirit's way of directing those disciples to do what He wanted them to do. The same way that He did through persecution in the early church. We said, man, that's awful. How could God let that happen? It's because God is building His church. And sometimes He's building it through the, the blood of some of the saints. He's building His church. He's got this thing under control. The Holy Spirit is leading this thing. So my question for you is this. Think about the current disagreements that you have in your life, the, the current kind of issues and divisions that you have in your life. Are they kingdom disagreements or are they sinful disagreements? Is, is someone prideful in this situation? And, and if, you, if you can't figure out, you might want to ask yourself first because sometimes we're blind to our own sin, right? Is this a kingdom disagreement or is this a, one of the flesh and the devil that he's using? Uh, to, to divide the church and God's people. And then ask yourself this question, what would need uh, to happen for you to trust the Holy Spirit's leadership in whatever that situation is for a better outcome than what you can imagine? Because it's not about being right, it's about being reconciled. It's not about being right about everything, it's about being reconciled to God and others. And sometimes... Sometimes that means that we need a ton of humility when we enter into, into situations. And then other, on the other side of this, sometimes the resolution isn't going to come like we want it to come. And we've got to be okay with that too. Um, sometimes there's just going to be parts in company. 
Sometimes there's going to be people in your life for a season and they're not going to be in your life for the next season. You've got to understand that the Holy Spirit is sovereign over those in your life as well. He uses those moments. And, and lastly, I would say this. I think we've got to learn to lean into conflict. Now, you know, if this would have been in the modern day church, you know, Barnabas would have got frustrated. He would have went in his room and he would have, he would have got on Twitter and Facebook and been going nuts about Paul, right? He would have been like, oh man, I can't believe Paul. I mean, look at this guy, right? But what does he do instead? They lean into the conflict because God is bigger than the problem that they see. Even though they can't see the resolution, they have to part company because of their convictions in this moment. God is bigger than that. In church, we've got to learn to lean into conflict. And what, what's that mean? That means whenever you want to run, you need to turn around and face the music. Now, a lot of times we can't do this easily because we don't know how it's going to play out and we're fuming mad. But you know what we're doing when we turn around and we encounter the people that we're in conflict with is we are stepping out in faith, asking God for a better outcome than what we can see. We're relying on the Holy Spirit to bring about something that we can't bring about on our own. There's a guy in our church that, you know, I've been teaching this for, for the, you know, almost all four years since we've planted the church. Just the, the fact that we're to lean into conflict instead of run away. There's a guy in the church that texts me probably every four to six months and just says, hey, thank you. This truth is changing my life. It's changing my family's life. I mean, this, this particular individual had some estrangement with some of his siblings. Not real bad, but it just, they just weren't as close as they could be. And now that sibling is moving down or has moved down to Georgia, and they're closer as a family because of this reality that we can lean into conflict when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to run. Isn't that an amazing truth? Now, it takes a lot of faith to do that. So we see the Holy Spirit providing a better outcome through disagreement. Let's continue on in this. Point two is this. The Holy Spirit leads to and through pain and suffering. So, um, for a more thorough treatment of this passage, you can, you can go back and listen to the first sermon that we preached in our Rooted series where we preach through the book of 1 Timothy. But this is, this is the instance about how Timothy became one of the companions of Paul to help plant churches. And, and Acts 16, 1-3 says this, Paul came also to, to Derby. Brandon, that's how you say it, Derby. I'm just messing with him. He always corrects me on my Kentuckyisms. So I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take ground when I can. Uh, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. And there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy is in Lystra. Now what happened in Lystra before? We read this a few chapters ago, a couple chapters ago. Lystra was the place that Paul preached so good that they wanted to stone him. In fact, they did stone him. Now I haven't preached this sermon that good before, and I don't know if I want to, but they, they, they meet him with rocks. Because the gospel that he preaches is so offensive to their hearts, but that's evidence that they need to hear it, that conviction that it brings. And so Paul goes back to Lystra once on his way back in the first missionary journey. Now this is the second journey. He's got Silas along with him. He says, hey, Silas, let's go back to Lystra, see what's up there. He goes right back into the city that had given him the most trouble. And who does he find there? Well, the brothers... Are, are commending this guy named Timothy, saying, man, this guy's got a good reputation. He has been faithful with the little. We've put some things in front of his life. He's been fruitful in those. He's been committed to those things. Paul, you ought to consider taking this guy with you. We think, we think he's the real deal. And so Paul spends some time with him, and he agrees. 
He agrees, Timothy is a guy that I could take with me that would be faithful uh, in ministry. Now, if Paul would have been frustrated and, and, and afraid of the situation, he would have never found Timothy. But I think Timothy was, the, Timothy's faith was forged in the furnace of that city. In the furnace of the trial, in the furnace of the suffering that he saw Paul endure in that city, I think he saw a gospel that was believable. You know, that's when you know that something is, is true. The Holy Spirit bears witness, but also people are willing to suffer for it. That's when you know it's true. People willing to suffer for the sake of this news about Jesus that gives others freedom. Now, now, let me remind you about the pattern that we've seen for gospel ministry in the book of Acts. It's not the pattern that we see in the American church for gospel ministry. It's this, it's proclamation so the gospel would be made known in a community. The first thing that would happen after this was opposition. There'd be a mixed review. Some people would like it, some people wouldn't like it, some people would pick up rocks, other people would want, would, would, would want to follow Paul and his companions. Uh, so so uh, proclamation, opposition, the third one is the one that we have a really difficult time with, perseverance. You keep persevering, you keep showing up in other people's lives. That's what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. To keep coming back to Lystra, even though it's a difficult city. To keep coming back to that family member, even though you know it might not go well. To keep showing up in your coworkers' lives, even though they know you're a Christian and they kind of make snarky comments about your faith. To keep contending for the gospel in their life because what eventually typically happens is fruit is born. Proclamation, opposition, perseverance, fruit. That's the pattern of how the church grows. And we said that most of us never make it through the opposition to the perseverance. And so most of us give up on the fruit before it's ever born. So we said that's the pattern of gospel ministry. Now, <clears throat> Here's the question that, that I have. You know, we're talking about these two oars. One is this calling to God. The other one is this calling to, to obey what God has shown us and to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as we walk this journey of faith. Here's the question. Do we hear the callings of the Holy Spirit in seasons of pain and suffering? Do we hear God wooing us to Himself and through the circumstance in the seasons of pain and suffering? And here's what Peter reminds us of in 1 Peter chapter 4. Okay, this, I love this passage because it perfectly describes my typical response to pain, trial, and suffering. Here's what Peter writes to the church. He says this, Hey, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What's he saying there? Well, when everything blows up in our lives, what do we say? Man, where did that come from? I don't deserve this. We act as if something strange is happening to us. God, why did you let this circumstance happen? Why did I lose my job? Why did that person that I really love have to die? Why, whatever the situation is, we get surprised, we get caught off guard, and we fail to realize that trial and suffering and pain are the normative function of the Holy Spirit to make us more into the image of Jesus. It's, it's the normative role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. He takes us to and through the circumstances for His glory. He does a better work in us. There's a better outcome than what we have in mind. And He does this 
through the fiery trial that we experience. And that trial can be multifaceted. In fact, I would say this, it's different for all of us. There's not a better path, there's not a worse path. There's not better circumstances and worse circumstances. There's just a fiery trial and we're all facing it. As uh, one of my favorite authors, Ian McLaren, said, be kind because everyone's fighting a hard battle. Isn't that the truth about life? You all have your own fiery trials. And and that's why, you know, this first aura of following Jesus and being called out is great and good. This second one over here, it looks a lot different for all of us. And there's not a better path. There's, There's not one person that has a better path than another. They're all unique and they're all crafted by the hand of God for the purpose of His kingdom. Now when you begin to see life that way, pride starts to dissipate. We don't wish that we were someone else and we don't think others should be like us. We're a lot more gentle in the way that we approach one another because we see that everyone's on this journey and that God is changing us all. And He's doing it to and through the trials. They're coming our way. Now the third thing is this. The Holy Spirit leads to and through disappointments and foiled plans. So Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, and they've picked up this compadre uh, Timothy to take with them, and they're on this second missionary journey, and they're trying to figure out where they're supposed to go. Okay, And, and let's read what happens here. Uh, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that looks like, but that sounds really interesting, doesn't it? What's it mean to be forbidden by the Holy Spirit? Anyway, to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mesha, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus once again did not allow them. So passing by Mesha, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So all of a sudden they're heading out for Phrygia and Galatia, and they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They want to go into Asia... God is like, no, I don't want you to go to Asia. I don't know what it means to be forbidden by the Holy Spirit, but I know one thing. You have to know God and be in communion with Him to talk about the Holy Spirit that way. For the Holy Spirit to be so personal in your heart, you've got to know God. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is this kind of just mythical, kind of just this just kind of ethereal being that we say, oh yeah, I don't really know about this, but... What the Bible says the Holy Spirit is, is a guarantee of the promise that God has given us. He's the seal to remind us of the work of Jesus. That's why I hear Luke describes, Luke describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. Did you hear that? The Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus is living inside of us. This is how Jesus continues to live inside of us and be at the right hand of the Father representing us at the same time. The Holy Spirit. Oh, We tap into the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and through God's people and seek in prayer, seeking to follow God. Now, now the more deeply we choose to do that, 
the more palpable the presence of the Holy Spirit is in our life. And now, you know, we could get into all the different gifts that the Spirit bestows for seasons of the church and for different individuals. We don't really have time to get in that today, but the Holy Spirit is with us, and His plan is to build us up and build the church up at the same time. Now, Paul, Paul was communing with God at, at, at such an intense, in such an intense way, I think by way of necessity, that, that, it, that it was just a real palpable kind of directive thing for him. Now, you kind of see that, that Paul is feeling his way forward as he's walking in life too. He knows he's supposed to be on God's mission. He doesn't have the roadmap. I mean, he gets into a community, into a region, and he wants to go there, and he just senses, I'm not supposed to be there. He goes a little further north. They want to go in Bithynia. Ah, he's not supposed to be there. And what the Holy Spirit does is he threads the middle of Asia and Bithynia and takes him straight to Troas. And he gives him this vision. He gives him this vision that, that there are these people in Troas that really need the gospel. Now, I think sometimes God gives us, maybe not real, real vivid visions, but he gives us senses that we're supposed to do certain things. Now, the, the question is, how do I know if it's from the Holy Spirit or not? And I just want to give you just real quickly three principles that have helped me that I've seen all over the Scriptures. Now, the, the first one is this, and this is how to answer the question, am I supposed to do blank? Whatever it is. Am I supposed to go into Bithynia, Domitia? Am I supposed to take this job, marry this person? Okay, and these aren't necessarily in any certain order, by the way. In fact, in this passage, we see them in the kind of the first order. The first principle is this. Is there a desire on the inside? Is there a desire on the inside to do whatever it is? Is that something that God has prompted me to do? The second thing is this. Is there a confirmation on the outside? Do other people that I know, trust, and love think that that would be a good idea? Does that seem like wisdom to them? That's a phrase we like to use a lot. Does that seem like wisdom? And then the, the, the third thing is this, is there an opportunity, is there an open door? Is there an open door for me to step into? And so how do we see it play out with Paul? Well, the first thing we see is an open door. The, the first thing we see is an open door. God, God is shutting all of these other doors to, to Misha, to Bithynia. He's not supposed to go there. And then we see, uh, then we see a, a kind of a confirmation by others second, right? Uh, Luke says, hey, we, we, we thought it was a good idea. And then we see the desire kind of follow suit with, with that outer confirmation that, that he thinks, you know, hey, the gospel is good news and people need to know about it. And I had this vision about this guy that said he really needed the gospel and this region really needed the gospel. We should go there first. Now, the Holy Spirit backfills those places he didn't go. He has different plans for that. But Troas is the plan for Paul, Silas, and Barnabas this day. Now, in order to walk this way, to row both of these oars and step with the Holy Spirit, we've got to really trust the Holy Spirit and seek the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Francis Schaeffer uh, once said this. He said, the central pro problem of our age is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, is this. is tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the Spirit. You can write that down. That's a good one. Tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh than in the power of the Spirit. If what we're putting our hand to is something that we could do without the Holy Spirit, we have to ask ourselves the question, is God really calling me into this? Who's really receiving the glory for whatever God is calling me into in this season of my life? Because a lot of times the Holy Spirit is after the glory of God 
And he wants, all of the, he wants all of the accolades. He wants all of the glory. And he'll lead us into places where the road looks like it has ended. And he just shows us enough light for the next step. And we, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And so God leads us into those moments. And, and my heart for New City Church is that we would, we would really pray the same thing that Moses said in, in Exodus chapter 33. He said this, um, God says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And, and Moses says this, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. God, if you're not going before us, we don't want any part of it. I don't, see, I don't care how good the land looks in Moses' case. I don't care how good the opportunity is. I don't care how many zeros would be on my paycheck. If you're not in it, I don't want any part of it. But so many times, we look at things from a worldly perspective and we think, God, this would make sense because this, this, and this, and here's how we could save, and here's what we could do, and here'd be the opportunity for the kids, and you know, look at all these situations. And we, we just build this argument, this defense argument, that's purely of the flesh. We've not even consulted with God. There's no mystery in following Him in the middle of that. And, and I'm just saying that, that sometimes I think we need to, well, all the time, we need to step back and say, is this really God's plan, or is this mine? Um, because we have a propensity to do the, the work of the Lord in the power of the flesh, especially as Westerners. So to kind of bring this to closure here, I, I just want to give you some bullet points, some takeaways of, of if we were to look at the Holy Spirit's calling in our lives through different circumstances, maybe some like these we've seen today, if we were to look at life that way as, as a two-or kind of approach, that we've been called to God that Jesus is ours, and that we receive Him by faith, that even though we're dirty, rotten sinners who could never please God on our own, that God has sent us Jesus and He's called us. And that's our role is to pursue the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is something that is a constant in our life. And the more that we see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the more that these other little callings that God give us come into clarity and a, and a, better, and a better focus for us. So, how can, here's the question that we got to answer. How can I maximize my usefulness in kingdom calling? How can I be useful in God's kingdom? How can I position myself by obeying God and trusting the Spirit to be useful in the kingdom? The, the, the first thing is this. We have to remember the order of the call. We have to remember the order of the call. So what do I mean by that? We're first called to God before anything else. God isn't calling us to do things before He's calling us to Himself. We're building a sandcastle when we approach life that way. And it's why we see so many people so insecure of what they've based their life on because it's a sandcastle. The waves of life come, it crushes it when you don't pursue the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit as your first and primary calling in life. When you don't know what to do, that's the or that you continuously focus on. I do know the way. Even though I don't know the, you know the lowercase w way, I know the capital W way. That's what you focus on in those seasons and really is a predominant focus of our lives. We focus on Jesus. The order of the call matters. Thomas couldn't figure out the way because he didn't consider Jesus as the way before he thought about what it looked like to follow Jesus. Second thing is this, we lean into conflict. I'm not going to belabor this point, but I think it's worth repeating 
we have a propensity to lean away from conflict and run from it. And most times the Holy Spirit is going to forge a better outcome in our lives when we lean into the conflict that surrounds us and we face, we face our fears just with a, with a heart full of faith. Uh, the third thing is this, we, we pursue a good reputation. Now, I didn't talk about this much in the sermon, but, but one of the things that we notice about Timothy's life is that his reputation mattered. And, and our reputations matter because if Timothy would have had a bad track record, if he wouldn't have taken following God serious, if he wouldn't have been faithful in the little things, how in the world would he be positioned to be used of God in that situation where Paul was looking for a companion to go on this second journey with him? He was faithful in the little things. He didn't do them perfectly. He even had this mixed background of a, of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and he was faithful. And guess what? People notice when you're faithful. And it counts in the kingdom. Character counts. Character counts more than competency most times because the Holy Spirit equips those He calls, right? Have you heard that phrase before? We think that we got to be equipped to be called, but the Holy Spirit equips those that He calls. We see that true in Timothy's life. Fourthly, we are flexible. We are flexible. And I mean this in a, in a very literal sense, especially in Acts 16. We see Paul has just preached this sermon, he's just led this council on the Jerusalem council on saying, you know, we, we shouldn't make it hard for the Gentiles to follow Jesus. We're not going to make them be circumcised and, and to become Jews to follow Jesus. And what's the first thing that he does with Timothy? Okay, Timothy, you want to follow me? Let's go get you circumcised. I mean, how's that for a call to ministry, right? You know, he, he, and, and so what's the, what's the difference here? This isn't a requirement for salvation. This is more of a heart for the mission of God. This is saying, hey, let's not make it difficult in the places that we go. Let's not, let, let's not use our liberty to be a distraction from the main thing in Jesus. Now, sure, this is going to be painful. But I think God's going to use this. And so he sets aside that part of his life and, and just and follows God in that. He can't, he can't really see the way, but he's flexible for the mission of God. If you're going to follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, prepare to be surprised. Prepare to be surprised. The people that I think are living by the power of the Spirit most effectively have, a lot of times from a worldly perspective, they've had their lives turned upside down. Those are some of the most fruitful people in this church that I know. Their lives have been absolutely turned upside down. That's what happens when you Place your hands and your life in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's going to shake it up. And it's going to be a wild ride. But you can trust that He's always in the boat with you. He's always with you in the midst of the storm. Lastly, we are aware of God's voice. God is always speaking. We're just not always listening. God's always speaking. We're we're just not always listening. I love what Blaise Pascal, who was a mathematician from a long time ago, said. He, said. he said, all of humanity's problems stem from a man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. There's a lot of truth in that, right? And more so now than ever. To hear from God, you have to be still before God. And to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, we've got to make space in our lives for God to speak to us. Now, one of the things that I think we see the journey of Paul and his companions teaching us is this, is that we've got to move away from this event 
oriented idea of calling from God. I had this mountaintop experience and it was like, go here and do this and this guy and this. We've got to move more to this person of the Holy Spirit oriented calling from God, which means that we're going to walk forward with what we know and be open to what God might have next for us. When you move from that, all of a sudden your expectations are more realistic. That God is going to speak to me through the power of His Word and His people in an everyday, ordinary kind of way throughout life. So when your week gets blown up because a virus comes through the house, God, how are you inviting me to experience more of you and inviting me into, into part of my calling because of what's happened this week? Or you unexpectedly lose your job, or what, whatever it would be, there's an illness that, that hits. Whatever it would be, the, the question ought not to be, God, I I, this isn't part of my calling. I know it's not. It should be, God, what are you inviting me into? Because ultimately, he's sovereign over the plan. And you know this from Romans chapter 8, 28, that, 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 he's, that he's, he's working good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the church is those who are called, capital C. You've got to promise that the Holy Spirit's main job is to work good in your life. And he's going to do that relentlessly, and it's not going to be how you expected it. So as we, as we uh, kind of close and pray here, I just want to, I just want to challenge you uh, to, to take whatever the Holy Spirit has revealed to you today, to write it down, to remember it, to think about it, to talk to somebody about it, and to kind of simmer over these thoughts about what it looks like to be faithful to the call of God through the power of of the Holy Spirit in your life. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for our time in, in your word today and, um, and for all you're doing in our midst. God, we do confess that um, there are many times in our life, our lives that we, that, that we sense that you might be just, just messing with us, just wasting, just wasting our lives and our time. But Lord, would you teach our hearts to be humble before you. Would you teach our hearts to trust the Holy Spirit that you've given to us as, a, as an inheritance, as a guarantee for what's to come. Lord, we don't, we don't know what our Macedonian calls are, but we know that you have a better outcome through whatever you take us through. And we just want to trust you more today. We just want to trust you and seek your face and focus on the fact that you've called us out of darkness into light by the power of your spirit through the work of your son. And to know that, that that's what matters most in all of our lives. And everything else that you call us to is really just icing on the cake that you let us participate in the work of your kingdom. So Father, would you help us to do that well? It's in Jesus' name, amen.